1: 6.30 Chad, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.
0: For the win, Driesen all over the line, centers McDavid, back to Driesen, one-timer, score!
2: David will transition offensively, Morgan Riley back, McDavid, beat him, Quick shot, score, beautiful
3: move.
0: Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by CAM LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962. On the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos.
2: 630 Chad. A very emotional scene outside of Battle Fort, Saskatchewan today. Hundreds of cars, several kilometers All lined up along the highway to show their support for Colby Cave's family as they rolled into Battleford after Cave passed away on Saturday. Just such a tragic story had been playing. With the Bakersfield Condors and the AHL, you'd seen him in several games with the Edmonton Oilers over the course of the last 14 months as well, gone far too soon at the age of 25. And I'm going to give credit to uh, several posts I've seen on social media this afternoon describing that scene of those cars lined up along the highway as both heartbreaking and heartwarming thanks a lot for tuning in tonight hope you had a good easter as good as you could have under the circumstances my name is reed wilkins it's inside sports on oilers and eskimos radio 630 ched and well i always enjoy talking to jay woodcroft he's the head coach of the bakersfield condors he joins us tonight under under these very uh, tough and tragic circumstances jay appreciate you making time for us as we say goodbye to Colby Cave a young man you got to know as a head coach over the last uh, year and a bit and and I know you must be heartbroken here with uh, everything that's happened over the last week.
3: Yeah, thanks thanks for having me on Reed. It's uh it's been a very difficult week. Um and um you know, I think you used the word heartbreaking. That's exactly uh what Colby's passing was for our organization. Um, down here in Bakersfield, obviously, for the Edmonton Oilers organization, for the hockey community, for the people in Battleford and, and North Battleford, and then uh, most importantly for for Emily and, and her family and the entire Cave family. Uh, just such a loss.
2: Colby Cave was claimed off waivers from the Boston Bruins last January, and, and as I mentioned, he was kind of back and forth a bit with the Condors and the Oilers, you know, sometimes that's obviously tough for a player. He has to join a new organization. And, hey, every player would prefer to be in the NHL if they could. Can you tell us just about Colby's approach day-to-day with the Condors and how he fit in as as a new teammate when he first came to the club?
3: Yeah, I, I, he's just a, he was just an absolute pleasure uh, to be around on a daily basis. I, I really enjoyed the attitude that he brought to the rink, his his enthusiasm. Reed, he's a guy that I would call a foxhole type of player. He's a guy that uh, you'd want to have in your foxhole, someone that you'd want in your corner, uh, someone who has your back, Um, just a phenomenal teammate, a guy that um, valued um, his everyday opportunity, did the most that he could. to reach his potential. I thought he was a great example for our younger players. And um, being being someone who, it's not like he was an older player or a grizzled veteran or, or that type of thing. He he was a guy in his mid-20s who's played 67-odd games in the NHL, um, had good experience as a professional. He was working his hardest um, to be an everyday hockey player in the National Hockey League. And while he was scratching and clawing for that opportunity and 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 trying to maximize uh everything that he had he was just a phenomenal person to be around and uh like i said a a real pleasure to coach
2: how did he handle that i mean he's one of those players there might have been a lot of uncertainty with him he might be called up he might be sent down if he's with the oilers he might get to play on the third line. He might get to play on the fourth line. He might have to be a healthy scratch. And then the next day he might find out he, he's going to back to Bakersfield. I mean, that 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 can't be easy. How did you see him handling that uncertainty part of the role that he found himself in with the organization?
3: Well, uh, I thought he handled it with a plumb. You know, he, he's been around long enough uh, to, un- to understand what his position was and, and where he was at. He um, he attacked his day with purpose. So uh, I remember the first time he came down. Um, you know, he got sent down um, to us in in October, and when he came down, uh, he had talked about how he wanted to grow uh, an offensive um, bent to his game, and he did. Uh, things on a daily basis to to work on growing his, his offensive game. And just so happened the next time he got called up, and I think it was a game in Pittsburgh, he got called up he, and he scored a goal, and it was a beautiful goal uh, to help the team win in Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, I was happy for him because he put a lot of time and effort into growing that part of his game. and And that's the type of person he was. He was... He was somebody that was always looking for the edge. He was—he um, lived right. He—he he took care of himself off the ice. Um, he had the love of a great family behind him, a love—the love of a, a great wife behind him, and um, you know he was trying to give himself every opportunity he could um, to get to the NHL and to stay in the NHL. And if you look at his trajectory as a player going back to the Western Hockey League he's a guy that's had nothing given to him uh, his whole way up and so he had to scratch and claw for everything and that's the type of ethic he brought Um, he was I said this uh, before uh, to some of his teammates and some of the people in my orbit that he was a, a true professional's professional
2: Yeah, that's well said. And I'm glad you referenced that goal against the Penguins because we've played that highlight a few times on our shows and in our newscasts over the the last week. Just a spectacular goal against. Pittsburgh Jay and uh, you know at this just just to lighten it a little bit, uh, Connor McDavid scored a similar goal a few games after that, and I posted on Twitter McDavid with a cave like maneuver to score a goal. And, uh, <laughs> I know a few people found that funny, but but that, that was a great goal by uh, by Cave. And I'm, I'm, I mean when you when you saw that, you you, you must have been pretty proud.
3: Well, we were, we were proud as a coaching staff because, um, you know, when he was with us during the month of October, uh, he found himself with a few few similar type opportunities. And, and we talked to him and we showed clips of guys like Connor and guys like Leon, um, even Newt, when they're going hard to the net, uh, sometimes bringing it all the way across the paint. And um, it was something that in his few opportunities that he had in Bakersfield, uh, he stayed more on the short side of things. And when he scored that goal and the next time we saw him, we were, we were like proud parents when, when we saw him because uh, it was something that the staff talked to him about. And, and to see him do it in such a high-stakes game and uh, help, help the big club get two points, an important two points, it was... Uh, really satisfying uh, from our coaching staff's point of view
2: jay I, I never would have dreamed it would have been the last time i would have spoken to colby before a game on february 21st morning of a game against the minnesota wild and at that time ethan bear had been up the whole year caleb jones had been up for a while now uh, yamamoto was obviously up and getting a point a game that was when benson had his stint in the nhl lagason had been up And I've told this story on the show last week talking about Colby. I remembered that interview, and I do a lot throughout the year, Jay, so trust me, I don't remember all of them. I remembered that because of how well-spoken and engaging he was and how genuinely happy he was for all the guys he'd played with with the Condors, maybe even ones who were called up before he got a chance. He was so genuinely happy that they were getting a shot and in a lot of cases excelling with the Oilers.
3: Yeah, it, that's the type of guy he was, and um, for us as a team, that's what we tried to to foster here over over my two years as a, uh, being the head coach of the Condors. We want to create that type of feeling, um, almost a brotherhood. And um, yeah, you, you know when when you see someone of Colby's um, character uh, feel that way about. Uh, his friend or his teammate or his line mate get called up to the NHL and do really well. Um, I think that speaks to the type of person that Colby was. And um, let's face it, I mean, what a great example that is, uh, for not just the young players down here, uh, but for all the players in our organization. He, he, was, he was truly a great guy.
2: Jay Woodcroft, head coach of the Bakersfield Condors, checking in tonight on Inside Sports with some uh, awesome memories of uh, of Colby Cave, who's certainly going to be missed. Just a, a tragic story that that we lost him. Uh, Jay, you know, I always appreciate talking to you, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you have strong ties to Edmonton. Uh, your wife is from here. You, you spend time here in the off season. Just let everybody know and oil country know uh, where you are now and how everybody is is doing through this uh, through this pandemic.
3: Well, thanks for asking, Reed uh, My family's is uh, riding things out uh, down here in Bakersfield. Um, we're still awaiting word from the American Hockey League and from our organization here, um, since we've been put on pause. And California was actually one of the the first states um, to issue that kind of shelter-in-place decree. Uh, so we've uh, we've been at home here, and we're trying to be good citizens and and not stray you know anywhere uh, out of our house other than to get a little uh, walking at the grocery store here but other than that my daughters and and my wife uh, and i are all safe and uh, we're thankful and uh, i'll say this too when you see um an event like what happened last week with colby I, i can tell you that i've been Uh, trying to appreciate every single minute that much more and try to appreciate uh, the time I get to spend with my family and my daughters that much more.
2: Jay, thank you so much. Uh, I know it's so tough to lose Colby here, but thank you for sharing your perspective of him with our fans tonight. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Rio. Take care. There's Jay Woodcroft checking in, the head coach of the Bakersfield Condors. I loved a couple of the phrases he used about Colby Cave. He was a foxhole type of player. He valued his everyday opportunities, and he attacked every day with purpose. Really good stuff there. Jay Woodcroft on Colby Cave. That was Colby uh, as a pro. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought
0: to you by CAM LLP Injury Lawyers. Representing injured people in Edmonton and across Alberta since 1962.
2: Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Well, you first uh, met our next guest or got to know him. Most of you would have first got to know him as a uh, as a player for your Edmonton Oilers. Helped them win the Stanley Cup 30 years ago. Coached in the Western Hockey League. He's currently with Prince George. And from the uh, years of 2009 to 2016, seven years as head coach of the Swift Broncos. And he had Colby Cave as a player for four of those. Mark Lamb checking in tonight on Inside Sports. Mark, you're on with Reed. Um, you coached in Saskatchewan. You lived in Saskatchewan, and uh, you saw that scene today with the cars lined up along the highway going into Battleford to uh, to greet Cave's uh, family. That's uh, that's got to hit you right in the heart.
0: Yeah, I did all that in Saskatchewan, and I was born there. So it, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a double hit, and it doesn't surprise me. Um, at all, with all the support that the, the family was getting, and it was just an unbelievable scene. I wasn't there, but uh, I got texts by a few people, and I seen it on social media. So unbelievable.
2: Yeah, uh, pretty tough time here, and it started, I guess, last Tuesday morning with uh, the notification from the Oilers that Colby Cave had uh, a brain bleed. Eventually, had surgery and was in a medical and in- medically induced coma until he passed away on on Saturday. You you got to know him before a lot of us did, playing four years for the for the Swift Current Broncos, and he eventually became uh, the the captain of the Broncos. So special in hockey for somebody to wear the C. What what allowed him to emerge as leadership material while he was with you guys mark well i think he uh, at, at first I, I think
0: he's a natural leader uh in, in his younger days you see any of his old pictures and stuff he's always wearing a leader so he already had that in him but uh when he got there i i think he learned a lot from some of the leaders that were before him for sure um and then his his, you know, he was so mature, his, his work ethic, his honesty, uh, he, had, he had all the traits of a, of a leader, even when he didn't have a letter on.
2: He was one of those players, uh, I mean, everybody has to carve out their own path to, to play pro hockey, to play in the National Hockey League. He wasn't drafted, eventually got a shot with Boston, and then Edmonton claimed him. Uh, look, I, I know you're a busy coach the team, and you have a lot of former players, but just tell us, you know, when you were able to, to keep in touch with him or maybe see him play in, in, in the pros, Um you know, just what do you think allowed him to to just keep plugging away and, and get into NHL games and find ways to contribute? Well, I, I, I just think it was the same type of path that uh, he took in in
0: junior. You know, he 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 turned himself into a real good two way player. He always had some offense in in, in him, but uh, to give yourself an opportunity if you're not going to be a real high uh, and offensive guy, which is very hard to do. Um, you got to find a role, and um, you know, Caver was the type of guy that would do anything for the team and to to find a role to play, and and that's exactly how he he made pro. He played a role. He was a great teammate. He's always been coachable, and you know, his his years in the minors in, in Boston were kind of the, the same as when he started out in Swift Current. He, you know, he was a defensive player, and then. You know at the end there he uh, he started putting up real good offensive numbers which got him called up uh, to boston and and then he put them in a numbers game because he was playing so well and when he went to get sent back down may edmonton grabbed him on waivers so he was he was kind of on his way to be in that type of player and then you, you, when you go to a new organization yeah you, you got to reset and you got to reprove yourself and you know he was doing that in the in the defensive end and, and winning face-offs and and all that and so in, in in my mind he was well on his way to being a full-time nh nhl
2: or in the next couple of years yeah what do you remember about how he related with younger players in in swift current i mean i mean when you're in the nhl there's maybe not that much difference between a 29 or 30 year old and a 26 year old in junior. There could be a pretty big difference between a 19 or 20 year old and and a 16 year old who might be away from home for the first time and all that stuff. How did he, how did he gel and welcome the younger guys?
0: Well, he, you know, he's just, when you, when, when you talk to the guy, you, you can see why, but it's, it's true care. Um, that's you know, and he, and he got everybody's trust because he truly cared about everybody, even the young guys. When he didn't, your first conversation that you have with him, he, you know, especially as a teammate, they knew that he cared about him, and he was just he was just natural that way. <sighs>
2: Yeah, gone far too soon, Mark. Uh Thanks for doing this. I, I know you've been sharing a few memories with Colby, about uh, Colby over the last couple of days. And, man, th- this, no is a, this is a tough one. Thank you so much for checking in tonight. Yeah, no problem, guys. Take care. That is Mark Lamb on the line tonight on uh, Inside Sports, currently with the Prince George Cougars and uh, the former head coach of Colby Cave and the Swift Current Broncos. Th- this one's hard to swallow. Uh, I mean... Man, we're, we're going through so much in the world right now, in the hockey world, getting uh, hit with this and a player, as everybody has been describing, of uh, just a, a very generous, genuine human being who loved playing hockey, who really appreciated every second of being a professional hockey player. Hi, this is Zach Cassian from your
1: Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6:30. Check. All
2: right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight, Jay Woodcroft, Mark Lamb. Remembering Colby Cave. Man, this uh, this is a great country. Hockey fans are such great people. I mentioned the uh, the kilometers of vehicles lined up outside of Force Saskatchewan, to welcome. Caves family into town. I've seen a lot of social media posts about fans putting up a memorial for Colby outside of Roger's place. Uh, Certainly a heartbreaking time in the world of hockey. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Brad Lauer will check in in about 15 minutes. He's the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings. He's one of two finalists for the WHL Coach of the Year Award. It's going to be uh, announced on May 7th. Dennis Williams from the Everett Silvertips is the other finalist. The Oil Kings were having a great season. Already up to 42 wins and 94 points. And uh, they were in first place in the Eastern Conference, third overall, and probably would have been making some noise in the playoffs right about now. But of course, the uh, CHL season, the Memorial Cup, will not be completed. We're going to talk about another hockey player that we uh, lost recently and an interesting story about his uh, legacy and maybe, well, maybe a little bit of a, a, a quirk about his uh, life and career. I, I was reading this story in the Toronto Sun a few days ago, written by our next guest, Steve Simmons. Steve, you're on with Reed. Thanks a lot for checking in tonight on 630 Chet in Edmonton. Uh, I, the, the question I'm asking almost everybody off the top, Steve, uh, how are you doing? How are, how are you riding this out? Let everybody know how things are for you. You know, it's been difficult, I guess,
1: for everybody, and you're doing your best. Uh, to stay inside and to stay safe and to continue on and to try and do your job as best you can. And uh, as I was sitting here tonight and listening to Brian Hall doing commercials, it brought a big smile to my face. So I'm doing a lot better now than I was five
2: minutes ago. Well, Halsey brings a smile to all our faces for sure. Well, and sometimes he makes me frown because he has a tendency to argue with me sometimes about nothing or pull me into an argument that I didn't necessarily want to be in. But that's the beauty of Halsey. He'll get you engaged one way or another, Steve. So obviously you experienced that too over the years. <laughs> He's always there. That's what I love about him. Well, well, thank you for checking in tonight. Um, you know, the last time we had you on the show was to talk about the Lou Barsh Award. And uh, Dave Campbell, the producer of this show, and I said, well, we got to have Steve on again because you're always so uh, so passionate and so well-spoken, and, and you're such a great storyteller. And you've written some incredible stuff here about, about Pat Stapleton. Maybe before we get into the puck, um, because, look, I, I was born in 74, so the bulk of Pat Stapleton's career – uh, I mean, I wouldn't be familiar with him as a player, and I'm not suggesting you're ancient by any means, Steve, but but what type of a player was he, first of all? I mean, he was on the 1972 Canadian team, so obviously he was a pretty elite player to make that club.
1: Well, he was good enough to be a top six defenseman in the NHL, and he was good enough on the pairing with the Chicago Blackhawks. Him and Bill White were really the staple pairing on Team Canada 72. And, you know, they just came in and they fit in perfectly. And Pat Stapleton himself as an NHL player was kind of a kind of a small dashing defenseman. If you want, you know, a puck lugger and a, and a guy who would have been perfect for today's NHL. You know, really good with the puck, really good moving the puck, really good skating, uh, quick and, and a bit small by by most standards. But uh, in those days, he was—I would say—he was a borderline all-star at a time when there was Orr and Park and Savard and Lapointe and, and people like that.
2: And, uh, and of course, Bobby Orr wasn't on that '72 team, right? Because he was—he was already pretty injured at that point, wasn't he? he yeah, that was—you know—in
1: between, you know, amongst the many times that Bobby wasn't available. Uh, you know, obviously he was the he was the best defenseman in hockey, and I think Brad Park was, in my view, easily the next best defenseman in hockey, and then you got to people like you know Savard and, and Lapointe and and Stapleton and White, and, and that and that group.
2: Okay, so Paul Henderson in in Moscow in '72 scores the the famous goal. I suppose depending on your generation, it's either the most famous or in the top three for most famous goals in, in Canadian history, if you want to factor in Lemieux in 87 and Crosby in 2010. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to that with you at the end of the conversation. So Henderson scores, and I guess through a combination of both video and oral accounts, Pat Stapleton does What? after Henderson's course.
1: (laughs) Well, Henderson and Esposito and everybody else, Cornuye and Ronnie Ellis and whoever else are all jumping in each other's arms. And with all this going on, Pat Stapleton bends down, goes into the net, picks up the puck. And I talked to Paul Henderson actually the other day, and he said it never occurred to him at that moment. You know, this was such an exciting moment. Like you talk about the, the three Canadian goals, like Lemieux and Crosby and Henderson. The difference between the Henderson goal and the other two goals was it was historical for the game of hockey. The other ones were historical for Canadian hockey. The Paul Henderson goal really was a was a was a game changing kind of event for the sport. And, and because of that, it, you know, it took on at the time, you know, such enormity. And really, you know, Paul will tell you, there's barely a day goes by where someone doesn't go back and talk to him about the goal. But the puck itself, you know, Whitey Stapleton picked it up. And, you know, no one really paid much attention to it after that because there was just so much excitement about everything else.
2: So from your reporting of this and some of the people you've talked to about Stapleton and before and after his passing, I mean, how many versions of where is the puck did did Stapleton have? Do we we even know for sure that he still had it? Um, My
1: understanding is he does, and my understanding is they know where it is. Um, But the, the funny thing is it became sort of his calling card. Uh, He played. He had a great career. He went on and played and coached the Chicago Cougars, um, you know, of the WHA. And while coaching the Chicago Cougars of the WHA, brought in an assistant coach by the name of Jacques Demers, who nobody really had ever heard of, who then went on to, what, coach, 14 years in the NHL? Um, And so, you know, Whitey, Whitey knew his stuff, but he was a real kind of, I don't know if comedian was the right way of putting it, but a prankster in the hockey humor kind of world that they live in, and for whatever reason, he took great pleasure in letting people know he had the puck, but never letting anybody know where it was. And so for years, you know, Henderson would say, "Why isn't it in the hall of Why isn't it in the hall of fame?" You know, and, and he wouldn't give an answer. And Ron Ellis would ask, "Well, where's the puck?" You know, I don't know. It's in the barn somewhere. And, and I asked him on a number of occasions because they would have those, you know, those 1972 reunions at different times. You know, the 30th anniversary or the 40th anniversary, or whatever. And there's a 50th coming up actually in a little more than a year. Um, and you know, the talk is always, "Where's the puck?" And and you know, everybody knew at a certain point in time that Pat Stapleton had the puck. But nobody knew where it was or whether they saw it or not. And if you asked him on a Monday about it, he'd tell you one story. And if you asked him Tuesday, he'd tell you another story. And by Wednesday, he'd have a third story. And he took great pleasure in sort of, you know, being this guy who had the puck and and wouldn't ever reveal where it was or what he was doing with it. And at times, apparently, his, his his kid Mike played in the NHL. Uh, and apparently, he used to he used to shoot it around the you know the, the garage. So you know, who knows right now exactly where it is, what shape it's in, or what it looks like. But it became sort of the calling card for Pat Stapleton. Other than the fact that you know he had this pretty good NHL career and uh, and uh, played on you know Team Canada '72 and was a significant player on that team.
2: That, that's such an amazing part of the story for a couple of reasons, Steve. I mean, first of all, I, like I'm not a big sports memorabilia guy. There, there, there are a few little things I have that have significance, but I, I couldn't see myself ever spending hundreds of thousands or thousands of dollars on a puck or a ball. But I mean, we've seen home run baseballs go for like hundreds of thousands of dollars in the past. I mean, you wonder what would happen if somebody ever put that puck on some sort of bidding market or eBay or, like, who knows? To me, the sky would be the limit for somebody wanting to own that part. I'm sure 20 years ago or so
1: um, that that thing, you know, put up for auction for charity, just as Henderson, I think Henderson's jersey went up and sold for a huge amount of money. Uh, uh, and uh, and I think the puck would have sold for, you know, they could have done this for a charity or, or whatever, and maybe they still will, uh, but I don't think, I think as time goes on, like, you know, it's going to be 50 years ago, which means you've got to be, you know, coming up to 65 years old, to a real good sense or, or memory of, of what went on in 72. And so we're getting to that point where I don't think the value of it is what it might have been you know, 10 or 20 years ago when, you know, that was the... I mean, it's still to me the goal of all goals, but, you know, I'm at an age where, you know, I was in high school when it happened, and we celebrated like no celebration I've ever been involved with for watching something in my life. And it became... And it's funny, I was playing high school football at the time, and I remember they made us... practice that day after canada had beaten russia in the final game and like the last thing in the world anybody felt like doing after watching you know this game on television depending on whether you were at someone's house or or in those little kind of square square tvs that they had on the you know the, the big tall ones they had in, in schools at that time uh, which a lot of kids watched on those black and white sets uh and so to try and go and practice football that day was, was not an easy thing to do. Uh, the amazing thing to me, and this is, this is what hockey's like, maybe different from any other sport. You know, here, Pat Stapleton passes away. And within 20 minutes of finding out about it, I can get on the phone and talk to Paul Henderson, you know, one of the most famous Canadians of all time. And then I can get on the phone and talk to Ron Ellis. And and you can get these guys on the phone just like, you know, just like you're calling your friends. And I know it's not like that with any – we've all covered other sports. It's not like that in any other sport. You know, hockey remains this family that – you know, has these edges to it, and they, that no other sport that I'm aware of has at the professional level. And it's one of the things I really do love about it.
2: Yeah, that's well said for sure. I just did a quick Google. Paul Henderson's jersey, uh, March of 2012. I got a story: 1.2 million dollars. Yeah, it was so. Mitch Goldhar, I believe,
1: who who bought it. If I'm not mistaken, and he's the guy from. He's a big real estate guy.
2: Uh, I'm just seeing, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. I'm just seeing if they listed the name in the article. Yeah, Mitch Goldhar. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They Toronto they Real Estate Magnet. Pl-
1: they probably own plazas. They own a lot of plazas in Toronto. I'm sure they own tons of plazas in Edmonton. Uh, they have that little logo. Of, I think it's a little penguin or something. I forget the name of the company, but... Uh, but he's, he's a very, very wealthy guy, and he was so excited to have gotten those. You know, as you say, a jersey went for that much. You know, I, I suspect the puck probably would have gone for two-thirds of that.
2: Yeah, 1.2 million. He probably had that in between the cushions in the basement, eh? So Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, th- this was awesome to, to catch up with this, uh, Stephen. This really is a unique story. And thanks, to for talking about Pat Stapleton as a player, because as we both referenced, he was obviously a damn good player to even uh, even be on that Canadian team. And this uh, this puck even adds uh, even more to his legend. Steve, I hope you're doing well. Uh, you know, you're always writing great stories, whether we have a lot of sports going on or not. And I, I hope we can catch up again. I always love having you on the show.
1: Do I have time for one quick story? Of course. Are we, uh, out of town. Uh, because this has been such a sad time for hockey. Obviously, the passing of Pat Stapleton, and the passing of you know of Colby Cave, and, and the passing of Tommy Webster, who that name may or may not mean anything to the people listening right now in Edmonton. Tommy Webster was a pretty good scorer in the WHA. Went on and coached in in the minors and the Memorial Cup, and 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 in the NHL with the Los Angeles Kings and the New York Rangers. One year, he's coaching the Central Hockey League team in Tulsa. And the Central Hockey League in those days was pretty much the same as the AHL. And halfway through, halfway through the season, his team went bankrupt. And the AHL had to make a call as to what, what are they going to do with this team. And the New York Rangers were the farm team, and they decided, you know, they're going to keep the team alive and, and move them to Denver, but they're not going to have any home games for the rest of the year, and they're going to play either home uh they're going to play either at the other team's gate or neutral site well what they then became known they were known as they were the tulsa oilers later and then they became known as the chl oilers because you know they ran out of you know name and they had no more tulsa games and tommy webster coached who passed away on the weekend coached that team to the chl championship i think it's one of the great you know little known hockey stories of all time this team it's like the, what's the, the horse with no name. This was like the hockey team with no right. name.
2: Right,
4: <laughs> that's, they, that's and they, that. And
1: they won a championship without a single home game.
2: That's a great story. I, I'm glad you shared that one too, Steve. Hey, thanks for checking in. I hope all your loved ones, all your friends, are safe and healthy through this. Man, really appreciate it. And same to you, and especially to all those listening right now. That is Steve Simmons checking in from Post Media. Wrote a great story on Pat Stapleton. Oil Kings head coach Brad Lauer is up against Dennis Williams from Everett for Western Hockey League Coach of the Year. The winner is going to be announced on Thursday, May seventh. Brad, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Reed. I'm uh, I'm
4: I'm isolated. I'm just uh, just just hanging out.
2: Yeah, a lot of people doing that. It's a yeah. it's it's a strange time. So you've been you've obviously uh, you've been in Edmonton and just trying to stay busy however you can.
4: We have we haven't. Uh, this is our home all year round now, and we haven't uh, we haven't ventured too far. We do uh, some family walks uh, on a daily basis as long as it's not too busy. And then uh, you know lots of lots of movies, lots of card games. Um, you know, just trying to stay busy as much as possible.
2: Yeah, well, it's a tough time, and uh, you know that was that was tough to see when the the Western Hockey League obviously first went into, you know, postponement, and then eventually everything was called off the playoffs and the Memorial Cup. Uh, Brad, just kind of take us through what was going through your mind as you saw saw the season fade away.
4: Yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those things. I mean, um, obviously, when you when you watch the news and you see what's what's going on around the world and uh it's me kind of making its way uh i guess towards us a little bit and you know our season uh obviously was put on hold for a while and you know you don't think it's going to come to to cancel and everything until where the state it is in right now um you know we kind of gave our the league took a break there and we just kind of went on standby and then you know the league called and said uh you know it's probably best to send our kids home now and and uh you know, they made that phone call, and I think it was on a Sunday morning, and and we met with our players, so it was a Saturday morning, we met with our players Saturday night, and they were gone Sunday already. We had them out of town really quick, and, you know, then we stood around and kind of waited to see what was happening, and obviously when you do get those words that it's not going to happen, um, you know, there's mixed feelings, um, you know, because there's a lot of things going on. and. Uh, obviously, you want to make sure everyone is healthy and safe and that's the, that's the most important thing is but selfishly, obviously, when you have a team, a group of kids like I had this year, um, you know, you, you feel like you want to, want to play because you think there's an opportunity to do something special. And, but obviously, uh, the most important decision was made and it was the right decision and uh, now we just have to make sure we take care of each other and, and get through this thing.
2: Looking back on the season uh, a, a little bit, uh, I mean, obviously you guys had a, had a great record. You're up to 42 wins with still some games to go. Yeah. Um, just just some overall reflection on, on maybe a couple of things that you were most proud about your team this year.
4: Well, I think the the one thing that I when I looked through what our group of guys did, um, you know, I think our uh, the way we were the way we found a way to to hang into games even though we weren't playing very well uh at sometimes we were able to sometimes you you worry about when your team's not feeling great you just uh worry about getting blown out or or not uh you know not getting any points out of the game but uh our guys hung around a lot of games uh we were able to get a lot of points obviously with going to overtime and stuff like that we allowed we were allowed to we allowed ourselves to get a lot of extra one-point games uh just to be able to hang around and and and, and stick to the systems and and to get those extra points to, to put us in the stands where we were.
2: Brad, I, I'm sorry to repeat myself because I've probably asked you this question 20 times over the last nine months, but I might as well ask you one more time. The expectations went up because of what you did last spring, and they were yeah. pretty high coming into the season. Uh, I, I mentioned the record, and you just touched on some on of the team state and games, but, but overall, I mean, my read was that the team never believed its own hype because that can be a trap and maybe especially a trap for, you know, teen players like, like you're mm-hmm. coaching, but it seems like, uh, the weight of the expectations never really affected you guys or, or am I reading that right?
4: Yeah, no, I think, I think you're, I think you're, you're, you're bang on. I think, uh, obviously coming off my first year, the, the, the year we had and, and being able to, you know, go to the third round in the playoffs, uh, you're right. The expectations were high on us, and I, I really thought, uh, you know, probably going into the playoffs and going to the third round with PA, I think that matured our team an awful lot. And with our group of guys that were returning this this past season, um, you know, I think they were they were hungry to do it again. Um, they weren't satisfied and just and just fell back on what they accomplished last year. They wanted to to take their game, one their individual game, to another level. Um, and when, when players want to do that, uh, your team game is going to elevate. And, you know, the, the biggest thing, I th- think, in, 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 and it's not just junior hockey, but at all levels is, is uh, having kids understanding uh, roles and, and positions and, and jobs on, on, on the team. And, you know, not everyone's going to be able to be on the power play or the penalty kill or, or um, you know, on the t- first line or second line. Uh, you have to have roles in the team, and 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 for the most part, our our guys were were very receptive to that and embraced their roles. And you know, we had a lot of guys, uh, you know, just have career years, and that's that's exactly as a coach, that's what you want guys to have. Is they want you want them to have their best year year after year.
2: And, and Brad, I know you don't want to make it about yourself, but I got to ask you, you're you're a nominee for coach of the year in the Western Hockey League. What does that mean to you? Why do you think you're getting this honor?
4: Well, I think it's, I don't think this is an individual, like you said, I don't think it's an individual award. I think, uh, obviously, you know, I, I have the final say on the things we do and don't do, but uh, th- th- this goes deep into our organization. There's a number of people that obviously help along. I mean, obviously, we have our school advisory, you know, our, our, our billet coordinator, all this stuff is stuff that does not come on my plate. Um, it allows us to stay focused on hockey, and obviously, our general manager Kurt Hill, for one, is the first guy to take the opportunity, the chance to give me the the job in the first place, and you know, and then you just you just keep going down. It's it's you can go to the scouts that that driving those crazy snowstorms all over the all over Western Canada, all over all over the U.S. looking for talented kids and and players to play in organization, um, you know, and then obviously uh, closer to home for me is, is it's, it's it's the it's. It's the staff I have that I work with that make things uh, challenging every day. They, they they challenge you. They challenge me with different ideas, different things, and doing things. And uh, you know, from the medical staff to the equipment staff, and obviously uh, Michael Chan and, and Luke Pierce, my assistant coaches, that are doing an incredible job working with uh, our players and. And getting our team prepared on a night in and night out basis and then at the end of the day, um, it's our, like I said earlier, it's our players to buy in uh, to the system that we introduce and they believe in it and to get them to do it, it's, uh, which gives you years like we had this year, which is, gives me opportunity to get, be, be selected.
2: Well, Brad, well deserved for you, and uh, it was a pleasure following your team this season. I wish we were talking about a postseason run here, but as as you mentioned, other things in the world have have gotten the way of that. But congratulations on uh, on the nomination. Thanks for your perspective on the season, and all the best to you and your family. Six thirty, Chad.
1: Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.